Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, June 8th. Students walk out to protest gun violence. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Yesterday was the California primary election and results are rolling in. As early as this morning, you may see some races called and candidates declaring victories. But in tight races, you could be waiting a while. Mail-in ballots can take days to trickle in. As long as they were postmarked by 8 p.m. on election day, they will be counted. For the latest results on San Diego races, go to kpbs.org. Jury deliberations began yesterday in the Fat Leonard Navy bribery trial. Five former officers are charged as part of a conspiracy to help contractor Leonard Francis defraud the Navy. Defense attorneys questioned whether attending lavish parties in the Western Pacific amounted to bribery when so many naval officials also attended. Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Pletcher says the evidence is overwhelming, from hundreds of pages of invoices and emails to testimony from some of the 29 officers who pleaded guilty over the years. It's going to be hot in San Diego starting tomorrow and on into the weekend. Friday and Saturday are expected to be the hottest days. San Diego's desert areas will bear the brunt of it, with temperatures up to 115 degrees expected. An excessive heat warning has been issued for the Borrego Springs area. It'll be in effect from 10 a.m. on Thursday to 9 p.m. on Sunday. Inland areas are expected to be in the mid to high 80s, while areas in the East County will be in the 90s. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Students at Patrick Henry High School walked out of class at lunchtime on Tuesday and stepped into the heated gun violence debate. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez was there. Patrick Henry High School in Del Cerro has become the center of protest and activism for many young people who want to be heard. The lunchtime rally included hundreds of students in support of gun control reform and demanding their school be a safe space after they say they experienced a threat of their own. Xander Kerrig is a senior at the school. When we heard yesterday that there was a potential threat of a school shooting during our rally, It wasn't impossible. It wasn't something that is far-fetched. It was way too real. 
The local students joined thousands of others around the country who walked out at the same time, prompted by the recent massacre in Uvalde, Texas, and the continued body count of young victims in school shootings. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. California's fast food workers are walking off the job on Thursday to demand better working conditions. The Service Employees International Union and the Fight for 15 campaign are organizing the strike. They aim to raise awareness about Assembly Bill 257, which is up for a vote in the state Senate this summer. Crystal Orozco is a fast food employee with the Fight for 15 campaign. The pandemic really opened my eyes about what's really going on here and how little they take in consideration of what's going on in um, the stores and how far up it goes in the company when it comes to actually voicing our, our complaints or opinions and, you know, worrying about our safety is a bigger, another bigger issue that was brought to more light uh, during the pandemic, you know, and then nobody's holding these companies accountable for their, their actions that they're taking and, the little regards they have for their the their employees who are the ones who are helping them make their money. She says AB 257 would allow workers to talk directly with companies without fear of retaliation. June is Pride Month, but in North County, a local resource center works year-round to serve, advocate, and empower the LGBTQ community. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us more. The North County LGBTQ Resource Center has been open for 10 years. Although they are based in Oceanside, they serve all of the surrounding North County cities and offer services to everyone, not just the LGBTQ community. To people who need help and services navigating housing, mental health services, we also have a food distribution program here that's open to everybody and we offer STI navigation and HIV testing here on site also free. That was Alan Acevedo, the center's director of operations. As a celebration of Pride Month, staff is prepping for their Pride by the Beach event this Saturday. The family-friendly event will be from noon to 6 p.m. near Oceanside Civic Center. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. The Salk Institute in La Jolla is raising money for a new building. It'll be the second expansion of its campus since its founding in the early 60s. The original Salk Institute is an icon of modern architecture. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge tells us how its design has stood up as a place to do research. In the late 50s, Jonas Salk, famous for creating a polio vaccine, wanted to create a research institute. A site was chosen in San Diego, an architect named Louis Kahn was chosen, and it was clear that Salk wanted a building that would be, itself, a work of art. One of the mandates that he gave to Kahn was, was he wanted a place that would be worthy of a visit by Pablo Picasso. Greg Lemke is a professor of neurobiology at the Salk Institute who's also an avid follower of architecture trends. And what better place for him to work than a building whose lines and geometry and embrace of the Pacific Ocean have made it an architectural icon and a national historic landmark. But the things that visitors don't see are what make it a great building for science. For instance, the skeleton of trusses that bear the building's weight. There's a series of trusses that span from these towers here to the exterior stairwells. 
And what that means as a practical matter is there none of the interior walls of these laboratory spaces support any weight. And that means interior walls can be made out of drywall that can be broken down to reconfigure spaces or made from glass to let in the natural light and create an open atmosphere. Salk and his architect wanted to create a collaborative space where scientists would encounter each other and observe each other's work. Lemke showed us a door that leads to a corridor of connected labs. And so when you walk down this corridor, you're walking from one lab to the next lab to the next lab. There are no walls between them, there are no barriers. The beauty of the building is that it is now about 60 years old and it has continued to keep pace with our changing science. Srikant Chalasani is a neurology professor at Salk who has seen the building change to meet his research needs. Once, he needed a new room to accommodate lab experiments with mice. He says he talked to the Institute's facilities guys and they created a new room. All they had to do was stick some metal poles from the ceiling to the floor and then stick pieces of drywall in. That was it. Of course, in the early 60s, Salk architects couldn't predict the future, and they couldn't prepare for every technological change. One of them, says Chalasani, was the use of wireless technology. The poured reinforced concrete the Salk buildings are made of is great if you want to block cell and Wi-Fi signals. The Institute has had to install more than 1,000 Wi-Fi access points to address the problem. And then there are the teak shutters and panels that Louis Kahn made as a key aspect of the building. The local environment, which includes a lot of very acidic eucalyptus trees, caused tremendous degradation. The spores that come off of the sap that get suspended in the air deposits out on the wood, which then uh, joined with the moisture of the ocean air and what have you, creates dry rot and surface degradation. Tim Ball, the facilities and planning director at Salk, said it cost nearly $10 million to restore the teak panels. And then the window itself also. So you can have... The teak panels and shutters frame the personal study of Greg Lemke as he opens a window with a view to the Pacific Ocean. He says building a place just like the original Salk buildings would be prohibitively expensive today. There is a new building plan for the Sauk campus. Ball says it will be built in the same style, lined up with the original plaza and its symbolic stream called the Channel of Life. It'll have a, an open slot roof that will allow us to take the, the view from the sky to the sea, being transformed from a light and air standpoint to the water feature in the main courtyard, which is the Channel of Life that leads to the Sea of Discovery. The Salk Institute is fundraising for the new building now. They hope to break ground on it by the end of the year. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Coming up, San Diego International Fringe Festival has been going since last week. We'll bring you more of what's on tap for this week. That's next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, 
Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego International Fringe Festival is at the midway point. One show that will debut on Friday is a chamber opera called Aftermath. It's at the Template in Ocean Beach. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaks with the composer Nicholas Ravellas about creating an opera during the pandemic that deals with lockdown and a non-binary character. Nick, you are participating in Fringe this year with an opera called Aftermath. So explain to people what this is going to be about. It's a vignette about two characters who confront each other across a sliding glass door on the patio of a contemporary upscale home in Mission Beach. During the second or third year of a pandemic lockdown, and the aftermath of a tactical nuclear attack on a military base in the area. I really wanted these characters to be locked down and to be completely isolated and have to make decisions within that social context. And that's what most interested me about going into this story and, and dealing with these two characters. I just, I wanted to see how they would react if what we, we're experiencing during the lockdown ourselves was multiplied by about a hundred, right? So that's what it's about. It's this simmering conversation between these two characters. Ruth, who is um, well off, is a very successful self-help book writer, a yogi living in grandeur in a way on this beachfront property who probably has two years worth of food and goods and water in her garage, and this street kid who is trying to eke out some kind of subsistence with their um, you know, gang, breaking into grocery stores and liquor stores and restaurants, trying to find what they can, canned goods to eat to stay alive. And these characters coming from two completely different uh, social strata. How will they deal with this together? And you are sitting at a piano right now. So I would like to ask you if you want to play something that demonstrates maybe how you use music to sort of build the darker themes maybe of this piece and kind of build some of the tension that's going on. The very opening, I think, presents a kind of mysterious questioning presence it opens with Ruth staring out this plate glass window and then closing her eyes and remembering better times on the beach. So I wanted a, a feeling of memory, but also a feeling that something may be happening here.
there's no root. <laughs> you know, it, it floats. It has a kind of an ambiguous feeling to it. And I love entering the story there. And then she begins to reminisce. In the sun, it's the sounds that I love the most. The shuffling of sneakers and sandals, the rhythm of the joggers. You know, she's just going back and remembering what it was like pre-pandemic and certainly before this nuclear event. And I think it captures that. And I, this is what I love about writing theater music, not just opera, but theater music in general, is trying to really capture the drama, the mood, the emotions of the characters, and what's, what may even be underneath all of that. Something a little bit more obvious, because Evan travels up and down the boardwalk with this gang of skateboarders that Ruth calls skateboard surfers. I wanted to come up with music that would try to describe the sound of the wheels of the skateboards going down the boardwalk. Which I thought was kind of a fun rhythmic thing to imitate that almost uneven character of the wheels of the skateboard running on concrete on that wonderful boardwalk. So things like that, I get excited about. I love the detail of it. I love trying to figure out, well, how am I going to get this across without being maybe too obvious? I just, I really, really love that kind of work. And we're gonna have you play a little bit of one of the songs. So set this up. Yes, this is Evan's first aria where they explain who they are, where they're from, and what they're about. Evan is a non-binary character who has been running with this skateboard gang. And so in this aria, they explain to Ruth who they really are. I'm really excited that uh, the singer singing the role of Evan is Lucia Leon, who is a trans woman singing tenor. I'm not one of them. I grew up here on the beach. Skating. Surfing. I like to think that I Her dreams holding me. Moving me. I went away to college, pre-med, grad school. Those dreams were dashed with a virus. I had to live. To quit was my only option. And you are part of Fringe, but you are part of the what they call BYOV, which is Bring Your Own Venue. And you're working with Bodhi Tree Concert. So talk a little bit about this collaboration. Bodhi Tree Concerts is based on La Jolla. Uh, Walter Dumel and Diana Vassal Dumel run and founded Bodhi Tree. But yeah, they're producing it. And we're using Fringe as, you know, a sort of umbrella 
we wanted to be in control of our own venue so we wouldn't have other groups coming in and we'd have to break down and you know build back up after they use the venue. We're at the template, as I said, which is a coffee house in Ocean Beach and is absolutely the perfect venue for this piece. And you can still smell the salt air and it still has the ambiance that we were looking for, being, being close to the ocean and being really emblematic of San Diego life and a San Diego neighborhood. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about Aftermath. Thank you, Beth. That was Beth Accomando speaking with Nicholas Ravellas. His chamber opera, Aftermath, runs Friday through Sunday as part of the San Diego International Fringe Festival. For more coverage of Fringe, go to kpbs.org slash cinemajunkie. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 